All right, so I have the uh, I have the honor to introduce and invite up uh, Nick Billich up for us today, who's going to bring the word. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad to know you guys are excited. I'm excited. So um, we hosted an audition for the closest Brian lookalike we could possibly find. Just kidding. Um, actually, Nick is here. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, Nick is here um, because he is an awesome speaker. He and his family attended our church for many years, and they've, in the last few months or so, have moved out to Bakersfield. They felt the Lord calling them out there, but Nick is still so gracious to come and bring the word for us this morning. So thanks for being here, Nick. You guys are in good hands. Okay. Is this, can you all hear me out there? Cool, cool. Thanks, Emily. Um, it's, it's so good to see you all. Uh, I just, yeah, I think worshiping in this space and even thinking about like some of the memories that I've had in this very like area with like, youth group, Ultimate Family Weekend, all that kind of stuff over, over the years. It's, it's a pretty, pretty rad experience to be back in a place that feels so much like home. Uh, and seeing folks that I haven't seen in years and, um, and some a couple months and some never in my life. And so if I haven't, if I haven't met you before, uh, my name's Nick. Um, yeah, uh, my, our family lived on the Central Coast for, uh, for a long time and recently moved to Bakersfield. Um, but I've had a lot of connection with Calvary Slow over the years. Um, I think I started going here in 2003 uh, before we were in this building. And um, so just a lot of, lot of near and dearness in my heart for this community and this space. Um, also, I was cracking up with uh, the, the harvest thing that, that y'all are doing with, like, you know, bringing vegetables and all that kind of stuff. I was like, if that was me and running it, I feel like every time I try to grow something, it's just, like, dead. And so I don't know if we can relate to that, but I was thinking maybe we should have, a, like, a little memorial for all of us who tried or something <laughs> at some point. Um, uh, also, I wasn't planning on doing this, but I think... It is uh, just, I don't know, something that I'd love to take a moment to say. Um, so October is traditionally Pastor Appreciation Month. Um, I don't know if folks knew that. Um, but I really wanted to just take a moment to honor um, Brian and Sherry and uh, James and Wendy, um, Gunther and Vicki, uh, and a lot of the people over the years that have invested in this community. Um, they've put in so much time, so much effort, so much love, um, so much tears, so much emotion um, and dedication into crafting these spaces. And so um, just wanted to say thanks to you all. And, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, just feeling the importance of, of giving honor where honors do. Um, and I know there's a lot of folks that have also done that um, in volunteer capacities, um, you know, serving with the church over the years. Um, so yeah, I definitely wanna, um, yeah, just say thank you and, and give honor for all the folks that that make this happen, um, make this community happen. Uh, okay, so if you need a Bible, we have some. Uh, I, I know we got some coming up there. So if, if you need one, uh, put, a, put a flag up or put your hand up, and, um, and we can get one to you. Um, that's also a gift to you if you'd like to take that home with you. Uh, you can definitely keep that. And we're continuing the Gospel of John today. So uh, it was funny. The la- I, I taught earlier on this year, and we were in John 3 or 4 or something. Oh, thanks, Joel. Um, and so we're in John 10 now, which we made some progress. We had a few detours. Uh, we had a vision series, and then Jamie was talking about evangelism last week. Um, and, and I think the, the most compelling thing to me about the gospel of John is just how much time we get to spend with the person of Jesus. 
Um, so we're going to be reflecting on a pretty well-known passage today. Um, yeah, last week talk about, or Brian talked about how do we hear from God looking at the passage where Jesus starts to talk about himself in this kind of interesting metaphor uh, using shepherds and sheep. Um, and I feel like I always say this, and this happens, but you should, you should really go listen to the teaching last week if you didn't. Um, I think that that process of us understanding, like, how do we, how, how do we hear from God? Like, the, and, and the day-to-day experience that we have of talking to each other, but sometimes that's not how we experience, in God, or experience God's voice or communicating with him. And so I um, really encourage you to go check that out uh, if you have a chance. Um, but this week we're picking things up in John 10, verses 7 through 16. And we're looking at two really notable I, of the I am statements that are in John's gospel, uh, where Jesus says, I am the door of the sheep, and I am the good shepherd. Uh, so the I am statements that are, are in John's gospel are really cool. And so we got a list, from, or list up here uh, for y'all. And, and I love, if you just walk through these statements, you really start to grasp the beauty of what Jesus is trying to tell us about himself, right? Um, and, and they're pretty significant because Jesus in each of them is making this intentional connection between himself and God. And essentially what Jesus is doing is he's using these statements to show us who he is and what he's come to do, but he's also doing it in a way that links himself directly to ways that God was described in the Old Testament. Colossians says that Jesus is the very image of the invisible God, and that, and, and this is part of what Jesus is doing, is he's saying, this is what God looks like in the flesh. This is what God looks like embodied in human form. Uh, and Jesus is making God visible to us. And so as he's saying and, and, and showing us who he is through these I am statements, um, it's a good opportunity for us to be like, okay, like, Jesus is giving us some pretty awesome inside information on who he is and what he's come to do. So we pick up the dialogue um, in John chapter 10, and Jesus is talking to a crowd of Jews and religious leaders. And he's continued to elaborate on this metaphor that he started and that Brian uh, introduced last week. Uh, And it was really confusing to the audience. They were like, okay, you just said this, and we have no idea what you said. And if you read the Gospels, there's a, lot of oppor- or there's a lot of moments where that happens, where Jesus says something, and people are just like, huh? Like, what? What was that? And then in certain spaces, um, Jesus kind of leaves it ambiguous. He's like, those who have ears to hear, let them hear. But other times, Jesus continues to explain to help us bridge that gap between where we might be in hearing him and, and where he wants to, us to be in knowing who he is. Um, and so that's where we pick up the dialogue. Now, there... There's, there's kind of a tricky timeline, I think. Like, you read it, and you're like, okay, like, where is this happening? What's going on? And what is this doing? But it seems that Jesus is sharing this parable in connection to either the present or the upcoming festival of dedication. And we'll get into that, I think, in, like, next week or, or the week after that. Um, we, we also know the festival of dedication by the, the, the term Hanukkah. Um, and this festival commemorates the reclaiming and the rededication of the temple by Judas Maccabeus uh, from corrupt leadership and foreign occupation. So this is something that happened uh, before Jesus' time. But this festival commemorates that event um, and, uh, uh, and that really important part of, um, of the history of the Jews. And so, uh, so we see this mentioned in, in John 22. But the festival was a celebration not only of the historic 
rededication of the temple, but it was also a time where Israel remembered the cost of failed leadership. So during the festival, synagogues would actually read these pretty like blatant prophetic critiques from the Old Testament of, uh, of bad leadership, um, uh, such as Ezekiel 34, even using these terms um, of sheep and shepherds. Uh, so, so what Jesus is doing here is he's speaking, he's using these next I am statements in a very, very obvious way where his, his audience would understand that he's not just coming out of left field and talking about this, but that he's speaking into this contrast between himself and the religious leaders at the time. Uh, so that's, I think that's all the context. <laughs> we want to bring us up to speed on where we're at. Um, so let's, let's read our passage today. So this is John 10, verses 7 through 16. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. And if anyone enters, through, or enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And I came that they may have life and have it abundant, abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who doesn't own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the, fathers know, know, the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay my life down for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. And I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. This is God's word. Uh, and yeah, I want you to join me um, in, in praying for our time today. Uh, God, we thank you for a space, a place to come together. Um, God, to worship you, to, to reflect on your beauty and your goodness. And Jesus, you are without a doubt the most compelling and beautiful person that's ever walked this earth. And, and God, we, we ask you today that you would give us a vision, Lord, that you would bring us into um, uh, a place where we, we understand, we see, God, that um, the reality of who you are, God, reaches into our hearts. Um, and God, we pray for the power of your presence in our place today, um, that you would change us, you would shape us, uh, you would redeem us, Lord, you would call us back to you, you would encourage us. Um, so Holy Spirit, do what you need to do in each and every one of our hearts, um, whether we're here, we're watching online, we listen to this, um, at the gym on a treadmill or something later on this week. Uh, but God, we pray for your anointing in this time. So thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. So the first reflection that I, I want to make is, is that Jesus is the door, the way to abundant life. So I think one of the deep aches of the human heart is to find the way to what, however we, we define this, this term abundant life. Um, when we sit back and we have those moments alone with ourselves or we think about 
what we're doing this week or where we want our career to go or, or the things that we're, we're trying to navigate with, our, with tough decisions. We're always in this space of trying to figure out what is the way to abundant life and what are the decisions and the things we need to do to get there. I think that's an ache that we have, but we also have this confusion about like, how do I do that? Like, what, what is actually the way that I, that I achieve this idea, this sense that I have deep in my heart? And when we think about where we're at today, like right here, right now, with the war in Israel and Gaza, Sudan, the mass shooting that we just saw in Maine this week, when we talk about the upcoming election cycle in 2024 that I'm sure is just bringing anxiety for some folks in the room right now, tacked on to the day-to-day, in-and-out things that we wrestle with in our own emotions, our health, our finances, our families, relationships, the, the insecurities of do I feel valued and loved by the people that I love and value. And within all that, within all the things that are roiling inside us and around us, Jesus speaks into this and says, I am the door. I have come so that they may have life. And have it abundantly. Isn't that an absolutely astounding claim? Like if you were to share the things that you've been wrestling with over the week, over the last months, for years, maybe the thing that has chronically been in your life that you're like, I wish this would go away and I've been struggling with this my entire life. And somebody spoke into that after you shared that and said, this is the way, I am the way to abundant life. It's pretty wild that this is what Jesus is saying. And it's interesting uh, that what Jesus is doing is he's saying that there is people that came before him that promised to deliver, that promised abundant life, that promised to save. But in the end, all of these resulted in bringing exploitation, death, destruction. And Jesus is making the claim that he is actually the one who leads us into a life that's overflowing with joy, with peace, with love, with safety. And I think Jesus is talking about two things here. He's not just talking about, like, when we hear the the term saved, sometimes we can go straight to this, like, okay, this is us being in heaven somewhere with God, this misconception that our faith is very future-oriented about where we're going, and then we forget or we don't think about it having an impact on our life right now, right today, in our moment, in our circumstances. And I think Jesus is talking about both, that, that this is both abundance in our present circumstances, right here, right now, but also in the future. And I, I love what David says in Psalm 23, because I feel like David, in, in his writing of this, is actually capturing what Jesus is saying with, I have the abundant life for you today through me. And he writes this. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. And surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 
Now, this scripture might be pretty familiar. Just out of curiosity, who's heard that one before? A couple folks in the room? Okay, all right. Um, but look what David says, right? Listen to that, that he's saying in the middle of his worst circumstances, the valley of death and in the presence of his enemies, that God provides all that he needs for flourishing in the most difficult times. And this is what Jesus is saying, that, that even when our realities conspire to kill, to steal, to destroy us, that there's a key determination that shifts our experience in that environment, and it's all about who we trust and who we follow. When we think about some of the most compelling stories that we've heard over the years of Christians, people who follow Jesus, who've navigated suffering and significant trauma with this unexplainable and deep joy and peace. It's, it's like as if their souls were made more beautiful through this terrible experience. And, and the reality that's, like, I, I think in saying that, I, I, wanna, I also want to identify that the reality of suffering is so hard. It's disorienting. We struggle with how to navigate it. But what we see in these stories and what David is saying and what Jesus is promising is that he's the one who can lead us through suffering into the abundant life. That's what he's promising us. And when we think about the future, um, I, I think one thing when we think about being led by Jesus, it's, it's about where we are, but it's also, has Jesus given us a compelling vision of the future? And throughout scripture, God gives these beautiful windows into where he's taking history. And one of those is in Isaiah uh, chapter 2, where he talks about the nations coming to the throne of God, worshiping together in unity. And he talks about the weapons that were used for destruction being melted up and made into farming tools. And I don't know about you all, but looking at our world today, that spoke so deeply to me as a vision for what I want to happen right now. That we could take the weapons, the ways, the things that we've used to harm people, the innocent, the, the folks that are on the periphery of people vying for power um, and, 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 and trying to gain things for themselves, that, that we would take all these instruments of destruction led by Jesus, and he would turn those into instruments of flourishing. That is the vision of where God's taking us. So when he's talking about, I'm leading you into abundant and flourishing life, he's talking about today, but also where is he taking us? So another thing that I, I want to talk about here too that we wrestle with is, is kind of summed up in, in the idea of the exclusivity of Jesus. So in verse 9, when Jesus says, I'm the door, if anybody enters through me, uh, they will be saved. This is in connection to one of Christianity's boldest claims, and it's that Jesus is the true and the only way to God. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And that's a bold claim. And I think that that hits especially hard in our culture and our context today because we are so familiar with the experience of having options. We value choices, agency, uh, the ability to find what's best for us to customize our experience. And I don't think all of that is bad or negative, but I think what it can do is it can put us in a place where we see Jesus saying, I am the way and the truth of life. 
and we start to question if Jesus is actually telling us the truth. And I think there's a lot here that we could talk about and unpack, but I want to offer one thing that I think is is really, really key as we're processing and grappling with this. Like, is Jesus actually the only way to life, to God? And it's this. If you look at all the leaders throughout history, all the people that have been compelling or terrible, I, I, would, I would challenge, and I, I challenge myself on this all the time. I'm like, is there actually someone who's better than Jesus? And the more that I dig into who Jesus is, his love, his patience, the things that he did, there is no one more beautiful than Jesus. And we see that. And Time Magazine named him the, the most famous person of all time. The Bible is the best-selling book of all time. Jesus and, and his teachings have shaped the, the civil laws that govern so many societies today and the way that we evaluate what is good and what is bad. And, and when I think about that, what, what I think about is that Jesus didn't just happen on the scene. He didn't just wake up one day and was like, I have a lot of great ideas to say, boom. No, Jesus was born. He grew up. He was a toddler. He had his first job. He probably argued with his parents, though I don't know how that would look like. And, and throughout that process, uh, I, what I want to point out is that Jesus was formed. His character was created. He grew. He developed. And the way that he did that was through this undying, uh, sorry, not undying, but this deep and lasting devotion to obeying and loving God. And if that is the result, if we see this beautiful person who we're holding up as like, man, I don't know about all this stuff, but no one can say that Jesus isn't a beautiful and amazing and incredible leader and person. If that's how Jesus was shaped, then I think that's something that we need to wrestle with too, is that if he followed God and that's what happened for him, there's something there for us. So Jesus is the path to abundant life. Next, I want to look at Jesus as the good shepherd who leads us through sacrificial love. So we see uh, that in, 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 this next, in this next scripture, and I have them up here because I, I hope that as we're talking through these things, you're able to read the scripture and ask the Holy Spirit, what do you want me to see in this? What are you drawing out for me? What do you want me to, to acknowledge about, about your word? Um, and we see here that, that Jesus is saying that he is the shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. Uh, so the opposition that Jesus kind of sets up right here is he's like, I'm the good shepherd. I lay down my, my life for his sheep, but I'm not like these other higher hands. And we're like, okay, what hired hands? And sometimes with the metaphor, we're kind of like, okay, like what does Jesus mean by the hired hands and tracking with this? And I think what Jesus is saying here is, is he's distinguishing himself from leaders and people who, uh, who are saying like, I am the way, follow me, or things that communicate that. And he's saying that these other leaders, these people are, are only in it for their self-interest, but I am the one who is actually leading through self-sacrificial love. Uh, that he is the one who leads and, and tends to his sheep, 
not out of, um, of focusing on himself or trying to gain. Um, you know, there's talk in this passage of, you know, they're only in it for the money, but when the wolves come, um, the hired hand bounces and, you know, gets out of there to save himself. But Jesus says that, that he comes to lay his life down for his sheep. And I think what stands out to me is that Jesus is not a leader who exploits those who follow him. So we live in a culture that is, is, is so fo- focused on results. And if you think about it, whether in your place of business, um, the things, the metrics that we see of like what is successful, the people that are held up as like, oh my gosh, this person is, is awesome because, you know, they created the Tesla or, you know, whatever. Um, we are so focused on results. And I think there's an impact to you and I as people who are caught up in this, is that we can intentionally or unintentionally become leveraged for the gain of those who are our leaders. That we become a means of gaining a profit, or when we stop becoming useful or we're a liability, we're dismissed. And Jesus says the exact opposite here. He doesn't say that... uh, uh, or that he doesn't stay with his sheep to the extent that they're useful to him, or, um, or until they, are, they put his life or livelihood at risk, um, he says, no, I lay down my life for my sheep. He's not a self-centered leader, but he's the one who will go to the greatest possible length to protect and to give of himself for those who follow him. Jesus says in John 15 that there is no greater love than this, um, that someone laid down their life for their friend. And I think there's an important question here that we can wrestle with too, is that how many leaders do we know today that will lay their life down for us? That's a profound question when we think about who we're following. And I know that's an extreme example there, but in the context of Jesus and thinking about like at the core of who we are, who are we following? It's profound that Jesus is saying, yeah, that's me. I lay my life down for those who follow me. And I remember the words at the beginning of John's gospel um, where the, the writer says, for this is how God loved the world is that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. So Jesus says, or Jesus is who he says he is, and he says that he gave his life for us at minimum. I think that shows us how important we are to Jesus. Let that sit with you for a minute. That's how important we are to Jesus, is that without reserve, without hesitation, he's like, yeah, in a minute, I would lay my life down. And then we see that he actually has done that. So Jesus leads through sacrificial love. Uh, next, I, w- I want to look at Jesus, who is the good shepherd who truly knows us. And this is what Jesus is saying about his relationship with his sheep, that he's the good shepherd who truly intimately knows us. And the comparison here that Jesus makes is that his intimacy with us is like his intimacy with God the Father, And that the same type of intimacy that he has with God the Father is the same type of intimacy that we experience when we're following Jesus. So the picture of the Trinity, and 
please take a deep dive into this um, if and when you get a chance. But the picture of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that we get in Scripture, it's difficult to understand, pretty mind-boggling, but at the core of it, is what we find is that it is a relationship from which all life, love, justice, goodness emanate. That this is the source. God himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is the source of all beauty, truth, peace. And it's a relationship that describes perfect intimacy. And this is what Jesus is getting at when he says, I know my sheep like the Father knows me. Later on in John 14, uh, Jesus says, those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them. And I will love them and reveal myself to them. And we will come and make our home in each of them. That our relationship with Jesus brings us into this reality of being truly known to the core of who we are by the creator of the universe, by Jesus. Just sharing a story about the experience of the intimacy with God. Because I think we can hear these words today, and, and maybe we feel the sense of like, I don't feel any intimacy from God. Like, what is that? How does this work? Or maybe um, it's been a, a, a bit or a moment where you're like, I remember that intimacy with God, but like, how, like, how does it actually work out in my life? Um, I've been there. Uh, and as I was processing this, um, I remembered uh, a season earlier on this year where I, I was really asking the Lord for, for, for his presence, feeling distant from God, trying to figure out, like, God, I, I need what you say you give me in your word, but, like, where is this? And I remember hopping in my car and flipping on a podcast on my way to work, and it was in February where, um, um, and I think it must have been, I don't know, like the day after, a couple days after. Uh, does anybody feel, uh, remember or familiar with the, the revival that happened in Asbury, Kentucky? A couple folks? Okay. So early on, so this was in February of early on this year, and there was a powerful move of God at Asbury University in Kentucky. And I was hearing somebody talk about it who was there, and they were just like, it was so amazing, and just like all these beautiful things and in the core of who I was, I, I legit had some jealousy. I was like, God, like, I've been praying for that for, like, weeks and, like, wanting this intimacy with you. And, like, it's, it seems like it's happening over there, but, like, I'm in my car and I'm driving to work to, like, punch the clock again. Like, what? Like, what is going on? And as I was going down the grade... The only thing that I can describe is that I felt God's presence more intimately and, like, I, 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 I struggle with words to describe it because it was such a weird experience and unexpected. But it was almost as if God just, like, gave me a hug and was like, Nick, I love you. And just these waves of, of this, this awareness of God's beauty and love just started, like, hitting me. And I'm like driving down the grade going like, oh my God, like what is going on? Like I was not expecting this. And, and I almost, there was a number of people who I really wanted to call and just be like, what is going on right now? And, and I just felt like God say like, this is, this is just for you. This is, I don't, don't like think of this as something that you know, you need to go connect with other people about. I, I just want us to have this time. And throughout that whole day, 
I had to like shut my office door because I would just like start breaking down in tears because God would, in his presence, would have that same impact. And I was like, I mean, it was kind of an awkward day because I would open up the door and just be all red-faced and people would be like, are you okay? I'd be like, I'm good, I'm good, I'm doing all right. And, and I know, and I, I want to I share that experience for two reasons. One, that God, to me, what I experienced in that in that moment or that day was God saying, like, I know you. And I know, and I'm answering your prayers. I love you. I see you in, your, in this moment that you're in. Um, and I also recognize that that isn't my day-to-day experience with God. I want it to be, but we move through these different experiences of intimacy with God. Um, and God has his reasons um, and his purpose there. Uh, we have our agency, I think, too. In that, but but God is an intimate God, and He wants us wants to bless us with His love and experience the intimacy that He has with the Father. But I think another difficult experience about God's intimacy is that He knows all of who we are, our greatest successes, our greatest failures, our deepest insecurities, our shame, our fears, and that is a scary place to think about to be in, even if you think about the people around who are closest to you, who may not understand or know that deep part of who you are, that you're like, if I told somebody this, I might lose a friendship. Or if I came clean with this, I don't know how I would be accepted in you know, this space. Or I don't know how I could ever talk about this because I feel so much shame from this experience. Tim Keller has such a great quote uh, about God's intimacy and love for us. Um, and this is what he says. He says, To be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not, uh, to be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is a lot like being loved by God. And that is what we need more than anything. And so Jesus says in this scripture that he is the leader who truly knows all of who we are what we've done, what we will do, all of it. And he still accepts us and offers us his love. Just like we sang this morning, um, uh, I've tasted and seen of the sweetest of loves uh, where my heart is set free and my shame is undone. That Jesus is the good shepherd who truly knows us. Um, I'm just looking at the time right now, and I think it's about time to... Time, time to wrap up. Joel, is that, is that about? Okay, all right. Um, and, and so I think, I think we'll just skip to our last slide here, is that how, how do we respond? What's, what's our process of, of maybe receiving what God has spoken to you directly today, the things that he's bringing up in your heart, whether that's callousness or deep, worship and reverence or something that you need to bring before God to let him heal or the reality that that you've been trying to find that path to abundant life for so long but today the words of Jesus are striking somewhere deep within you where you're like Jesus might be the way the truth and the life and I want to I want to share just a story about um about where we're at, where we could be, and who Jesus is. And, um, and it's, it's a picture of, of the centerpiece of the gospel, Jesus' death and resurrection. So 
we were watching The Christmas Carol. Is anybody familiar with that? Uh, that story by Charles Dickens. Okay, it was way early too. I was like, we need to watch this in December. I don't know why we're watching it in October. Um, but we were watching it. And so it's this beautiful story of Ebenezer Scrooge. He's this really curmudgeonly, you know, uh, self-centered banker who's done a lot of shady things and hurt a lot of, hurt a lot of people. Um, and he goes through this, this process of seeing, um, you know, the, so the, there's the ghost of Christmas uh, past, Christmas present, and the ghost of, of Christmas yet to come. And so he goes through these different experiences to kind of show him his life and where it could be. Um, and then he ends up, you know, making this decision to do this huge 180, and it's this cool redemptive story. So we're watching it, and I actually left to go grocery shopping, and I was in tears. I was like, that is such a beautiful story. And I'm like, what is, I, I don't know if I'm, like, getting more emotional as I gr- get older, but I think that's a good thing. And, but something that struck me was, was how the ghost of, uh, of Christmas yet to come is one of kind of the most terrifying parts of the whole story or the, you know, the movie that we were watching. And in that, that little vignette or that part of the story, Ebenezer is brought by this ghost and he sees the impact of his actions. Um, the people that he's hurt, uh, the things that he's, he's kind of like created in his life so far and where those will lead if he doesn't change his actions. And I was like, that is such a picture of a bit of what we see in Jesus. And, and that's exactly, I think, what we see on the cross, is that on the cross, we see a picture of the collective sum total of our faults, the ways that we failed intentionally or unintentionally to follow God, the things, the decisions that we made to hurt people, the ways that we've chosen to, to reject or to, to pass by those in need, and that's on a personal, a communal, a worldwide, and a historic level. And what does that look like? It looks like an innocent person who was stolen from, his body was destroyed, and he was put to death by the powers that be. And Jesus says, that is what I've done on the cross, is that on my own volition, and we'll look at this next week, by his authority, Jesus says, I will actually take the cost of all the pain, the suffering that's been done to us and that we've perpetuated in this world in his body on the cross. But that's not the end of the story because three days later, Jesus rises from the grave to declare that he has conquered death, but that also that he has made a way through trusting in him for us to have life in the place of death. And I know that could be something that we've heard time and time again over the years, but that is the invitation I think that Jesus is saying when he wants to invite us into the abundant life, is would you come, would you humble yourself before Jesus to follow him, to become his disciples, and to let him lead you in life abundance now into the future. Jesus is our good shepherd. Um, so let love for you to uh, stand as I pray. Um, and then uh, we have Emily who who is going to come up and, uh, and share some closing thoughts. So God, we thank you for this time. And Lord, you know what you're doing in our hearts, whether we need to, to, to fall to our knees and worship you, uh, to go spend some time alone with you, to, to just 
grasp and, and to, to be in your presence, to experience your intimacy. Um, or God, if we need to come before you to ask you into our lives, Lord, to respond to your invitation to us, um, to, to confess, to humble ourselves before you. Um, and so, Lord, we thank you for this time. God, that you continue to bless us with your power, your presence. Um, Holy Spirit, would you lead us this week um, into all the things that you have for us and empower us to love you with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind and love those around us with the love that you've given us. So thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.